Hey, give it up. Give it up. Come on now. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. All right. That's better. That's better. Good to see you in the house of God. Thanks for coming out and being with us. We'd love to have you here. Welcome to our online people. We're glad wherever you're at. We're thrilled to hear stories. We, we hear them all the time, different places around that, that people start checking it out. So that's awesome, okay? And if you can get here, get here, okay? You got to move here, move here, do whatever you got to do to be here. But we are thrilled that you're in the house of God. And I am excited uh, to speak uh, the Word of God tonight. Now, I'm going to date myself to start here, okay? Uh, but at my age, I don't even care anymore. So it doesn't bother me, all right? In the early 1980s, there was a popular television series called Dukes of Hazard. Ran for about six years, okay? If you watched it, yell, oh yeah. All right, got a bunch of hillbillies in the room. Now, if you, if you watched that show, if you were alive back then, you know that you will remember a large part of that, that series uh, was the vehicles in the show. And so we all can picture them, those of us who remember it. Most common was the General Lee, a 1969 Dodge Charger. There are all kinds of replicas around, and you probably run, ran into those every once in a while. The Hazard Police Cars. Can anybody remember those? Huh? You close your eyes, you remember those? Those were a 1977 Dodge Monaco and a 1978 Plymouth Fury. They used those two uh, styles of cars, which interestingly enough, by the way, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I thought it was kind of cool. They bought those uh, from the Los Angeles Police Department. So there you go. I think I could have uh, escaped the police back then. But anyway, then there was Boss Hogg's White Cadillac DeVille. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. In 1991, I almost bought that car. Now, wasn't that car? Okay, but it was one just like it, minus the convertible top and the steer horns on the front end. Mine was white, it was a mile long, and it had leather seats. And I came this close to buying a car. Here, here's how it happened. I was living in Illinois in those days, and I uh, was needing a car. My car was about ready to head to the graveyard, and so I had mentioned it to a friend of mine who happened to be a vice president of a bank, a little town we lived in, and I just mentioned to him, hey, keep your eyes open for a car. And so uh, one night he calls me and said, dude, I got a car. Why don't you look at? Came across it. Beautiful, mint shape. This thing is absolutely gorgeous. And um, there, there's hardly anything left on the note on it. Uh, we had a guy who borrowed money to pay for it, and he quit paying. So we repossessed the thing. It's sitting here in the bank parking lot. Come on down. If you just pay what's left on it, there's hardly anything left, you can have the car. And so I go down there, and it was that car. It was this long, white Cadillac DeVille, um, red leather seats, and I look at that thing, and I said, are you kidding me? And he said, here's the keys, baby, get in it, check it out. And I sat in it, and I thought, man, I am a million dollars right now. And he said, take that thing home, show it to Susan, come on back, we'll take care of everything. So I drive that sucker, this little town, little dinky town, I'm in this thing feeling like a million dollars, driving down the road, and I pull up in the driveway of our house, and I knock, or I hit the horn, honk, honk. And my wife comes out on the front porch, and she looks at me. I'm going to tell you exactly what she did. She opens the door and looks and goes, no, and turn around and walk back in the house. Now, since I'm the man of the house, 
And the Bible affirms that I'm a man of the house. Can't get any men in here to say amen. You chickens, okay? I, I run the show in my house. I don't know about y'all. So I drove back to that bank, and I told him, dude, I don't like the way it drives. So I didn't, I didn't get that car. Now, I want you to help me. I want you to help me solve something today. We're going to settle this thing, okay? It's been a 30-year battle in my, my family. We're going to settle this. Who is right, me or my wife? Don't answer it yet because I'm going to preach a sermon that's going to tell you who was right. Now, we're on the fourth of five messages this weekend. We've been diving into these little books in the Bible that have only one chapter. We call it Little Sticks of Dynamite. So if you've been with us, you're, you're kind of aware of that. So we're in, we're in book number four. They're very brief, okay? They are to the point. Man, they're packed with power. And so uh, there are five of them, as you know now. So we started out with one called Obadiah, and I'll reference him here in a few minutes. And then we talked about a book called Philemon, and then last week, we looked at a book called Second Jude, which is the shortest book in the whole Bible. And next week, we'll close it out with a book called Jude. And today, we're on book number four. And book number four is entitled Third John. Now, I'm going to come right out of the gate. I want, you, I want you to know something. I want you to hear my heart. I got to tell you something about my heart before I jump into this so that you will kind of understand the things that I'm going to share here. Um, I am really uncomfortable preaching this message, very uncomfortable with it. And we just got done dealing with some heavy stuff in our church over the last uh, few months. Man, we've talked about some hot topic, divisive things in this culture. And uh, when I preached those sermons, I was a little, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm petrified about this one. And I came this close to say, we're not going to do it. And you understand when I get into it, why I thought that. I, we're just not going to do that because you might hear it and you might think this message is self-serving. You might think I'm preaching it for me because what I might get out of it. And you're going to get it when we get into this and understand it. And I almost, I came very close. We're just not going to do that. We're going to do this as a, a four-week series because I don't want to take the chance of you thinking about me what I'm afraid you're going to think about me when I get into this. And uh, I almost did that. That was very, very close. And then, and then it just kind of struck me, there is a reason why God put this in his word. See, who are we to say, okay, we'll, we'll talk about that, but we're not going to deal with this over here in the Bible. Who are we to do that? The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 one time, he was talking about his ministry as a preacher, kind of like what I do, and he said, I have not hesitated to preach, and the phrase was, the whole counsel of God. I've, I've told you everything God said. And so i got to be a little careful as a preacher that there's certain things I say, dude, I ain't touching those, okay? I'm not going to deal with those, and I'll deal with these, those are okay, but this one I don't know if I want to deal with. And I came to the conclusion that God put it in the Word. Uh, we need to hear it. It's, it's for all of us. And so I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to deal with it, and we're going to deal with it together. But you know my heart, okay? You know my heart that I want to be true to the Word of God. Now, with all that, and you're thinking, what in the world is this about? You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about as I dive into this. Third John, it's 14 verses. And I want to start, same way we did last week, with 2 John, okay? 2 John, 3 John. 
I wanna start with the very first verse of 3 John and let's look at it. And it goes like this. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. That's verse one. Now, if you look at it and you were here last week, you think, man, that kind of starts like 2 John does too. And it's exactly right. 2 John, 3 John start the same way. The author identifies himself as the elder. Now, I'm not gonna get into that like I did last week because I'd be repeating that. Just take it for granted, buy this for me. That is talking about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, or Apostle John wrote this. John, who is the best friend of Jesus. And so I shared last week, if the best friend of Jesus has something to say, dude, you're gonna listen to it, okay? So that was 2 John, 3 John, same guy wrote it, same dude, best friend of Jesus. And he said, I'm writing to my dear friend Gaius. Now, we apparently know that this was a, an influential guy in some church somewhere. We don't know a lot about Gaius. This is about all we know about him. There's a few other people come up in the Bible by the name of Gaius, but we don't think they were the same uh, guys because they had different, uh, different settings, and that was a common name in that, in that setting. All that we know about this particular guy is that John wrote a letter to this dude because this guy was doing something that God wanted people to know about. So that is the heart of 3 John, a personal letter between the Apostle John and some guy named Gaius who did something incredible. That's the heart of 3 John. Now, if you picked up in your Bible and you read through it, you would find out that after this happens, in the next 13 verses or 14 verses total, there are three characters that come up in the letter. And I want you to see the characters, and then as I go through the different characters, you're going to find out what Gaius did. Because the whole letter is about what Gaius did. So here's the characters that will come up. Let's look at all of them. You have a group of guys known as the brothers, and I'll tell you about who the brothers are in a minute. Then we got some guy named Diotrephes, and we have another guy named Demetrius. Now, I want to tell you who they are, and then we're going to get back to the main point of the letter. The brothers, this group of people right here, was a group of men whom the apostle John had trained and prepared and sent them out to teach and preach and advance the kingdom of God. That was the brothers. It was a group of guys that John had just got ready to head out into the world and make a difference. Preach the word, teach the word, minister to people, go do your thing. In modern terminology, a lot of people equate the brothers to missionaries today. People who come from a church and they're raised up in that church and then they are sent out by that church to some place in the world where they are gonna minister to people and teach the word of God and advance the cause of God's kingdom in the world. And so the brothers are simply that. They're this group of men who went out and advanced the cause of God sent by John from his church. Might be missionaries. Some people, and I believe rightly so, will equate them as Christian workers. 
as people who come from churches and they're just kind of raised up and they're built up in a church and that church then delivers them to go off and to advance the kingdom of God. That might be somebody like me. I have two certificates that hang on my office wall that mean the absolute world to me. They mean everything to me, both of these certificates. The first of them is dated August of 1980 when there were six elders. Some of them are in heaven right now. But six elders in August of 1980 laid their hands on me in my home church and they sent me off as a representative of their church to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, advance the kingdom of God for the rest of my life. And I'm here because those six guys did that. And I've got a certificate about the night that they did that for me. The other certificate I have is dated May 1982 when Lincoln Christian College affirmed that I had satisfied her requirements to represent their institution as a minister of Jesus Christ. So in a sense, the guy who's talking to you right now is one of the brothers. And you'll see as I get into this why you might think, okay, Dave, now I'm seeing why you might think it might have been a little self-serving about you. But there is a reason why God put this in the Word of God. I want you to know who the brothers are. Right now, here at Eastside Christian Church, we have many brothers. We have many sisters who, in one manner or another, they've accepted a calling on their life to advance the kingdom of God through their life work. And we have a lot of these people here in this church who are employed by our church. Right now, there are 13 full-time workers on our staff at Eastside Christian Church. We've got a couple other spots that we're looking to fill so that number will become larger. We have four part-time ministry assistants on our staff. We have two interns who are part-time on our staff. And that's 19 people who are brothers or sisters who have somehow resembled this idea where they have been sent out by somebody, go advance the kingdom of God. And so for you and I right now, we're jumping into this personal letter between the best friend of Jesus and some dude named Gaius and something about that relationship will have something to do with the brothers. And you and I have brothers all around us and sisters all around us who have given their life to serve the kingdom of God and advance the cause of Christ. Now, then comes up this guy named Diotrephes right here. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time about Diotrephes because Diotrephes is not the main point of the letter. Everybody hear that. He is not the main point of the letter. He is a side point of the letter that I think needs mentioned, and I'll make a point about it, and then we'll move on. But let me tell you something about Diotrephes. Diotrephes was a punk. In fact, I want some of y'all to post that on social media tonight. I want you to do that. I just want you to put, Diotrephes was a punk. And just punch that on there and put hashtag uh, Eastside Christian Church something. And people think, what are they talking about over there at Eastside? Let me tell you about Diotrephes. Let me tell you about, he was a gossiping, divisive dude who was out talking bad about John. He's going through the church. Do you know about him? Do you know what he did? Do you know this about him? He was divisive. He opposed 
the brothers. Diotrephes couldn't stand the brothers. And so he stood against everything they did. And if anybody welcomed the brothers, if anybody said, man, I'm on the brother's side, I'm here to help you, do whatever I need, then Diotrephes, watch this, the, the, the letter says Diotrephes kicked him out of the church. He apparently this guy had some authority and he was just some mean old dude going around, being divisive, talking bad about people. And if he didn't like you, your tail was out of the church. That was Diotrephes. He was a punk. Can anybody say amen? Uh, okay, so put that on social media. Diotrephes is a punk. Now, we're gonna come back to that in a real quick way, but that's not really the whole point. Then comes this dude. Demetrius comes up at the end of the letter. And Demetrius, this dude, he's just barely mentioned at the end of the letter. He's this guy in the church that everybody loves. They just love him, and he loves everybody else. I kind of close my eyes and I try to think, what is Demetrius like? And I see him, every church has this, okay? I see him as the old grandpa, okay? Walking around, everybody loves him. Every church has him, okay? Giving candy to the kids, you know, hugging the ladies, punching the guys, you know. Everybody loves him. I think about churches that God has let me be a part of, and I can think of all those guys, those Demetriuses around the church. In, in Illinois, I think about that back in Illinois, it was Bill Hinton, and Charles Christ was in Rileysburg, and, and Bernie Morris was in Beardstown, and Edgar Burroughs was in Louisville, and, and some of us remember Richard Lindley here. That was the Demetrius of our church. And there's times, I'm, I'm just being honest with you, there's times when I would gladly lay the pressure of leadership off my table and just say, you know what, I just want to be the old shuffling grandpa around, loving everybody, okay? And for some reason, for some reason, John wrote to Gaius, okay? He said, would you go find Demetrius and tell him, you're a special dude, Demetrius. Just a really touching point at the end of the letter. But none of that's the point of the letter. The point of the letter is what Gaius did with these guys. And the reason God wanted this letter written is so that people like me and you would learn the very special thing that this Gaius guy did for the brothers, and you and I would learn to model that. And so I wanna read the heart of this letter. Verses five, six, seven, and eight, that is the purpose of him even writing it. I'm gonna have it up here on the screen so that you can see it as well, and I want you to get a feel as we read this, that Gaius took care of the brothers. He took care of them. Now, do you see the uncomfortable nature that I got here a little bit because I'm up here talking and I've told you that I'm one of the brothers? And we got 19 people around here that are the brothers and the sisters and a letter is written to somebody because he took care of them. Let me read it for you. Verse five, right out of the gate in 3 John. Dear friend, this is Gaius, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they're strangers to you. You didn't know them, you start to take care of them. They have told the church about your love 
and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. And we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. And so what we have in 3 John is this personal letter between the best friend of Jesus and the Gaius of this church who is taking care of the brothers that had been sent to him. And if you kind of read between the lines, it seems that this is what happened that John developed these guys and they were ready to go and now he sent them off. Go out and advance the kingdom of God. Preach, teach, minister to people. He sent them off and they went to this church and they met this dude named Gaius. And Gaius took care of them and blessed them and was good to them and then they came back after that trip and they reported that to John. And John said, man, I am so proud of Gaius. And then he sent them back there and he said, I want you to take this letter to Gaius. And the letter says, thank you for taking care of these people. Thank you for what you're doing. And there is a reason why God put that in the word. There's a reason for that. And you might be hearing this right now and think, I never knew that was in the Bible. I never knew that little story was in the Bible. And you might ask, why is it in the Bible? Because God says, I want all of my family for all of time to know what Gaius did. Now, if you paid attention when I read the text, you saw in that last verse that it kind of summarized what Gaius did for these guys with the word, show hospitality. That's the heart of what this is about. And that's a really interesting word in the original language. We kind of struggle exactly knowing how to translate it. I looked at a lot of different translations this week about how they used it. One verse said that Gaius received the brothers. One verse said he supported the brothers. One of them said he helped the brothers. And so it seems that scholars through the years have had a hard time figuring how do you actually, how do you actually translate what that word means And I looked at it, and I think the best translation is its literal translation. Here's what it means, to take something. I've got a little water bottle on this table, and if I took that bottle, that's that word. I just just take that bottle. It translates, show hospitality, help, receive, support. Here's what it means, is that Gaius saw those brothers, watch this, and he said, I'll take them. I'll take them. I will take them. Any need they have, I'm going to meet. Anything they need, I'm going to help. I am here to serve and take care of those brothers. And John gets wind of it and writes a letter that God thinks is so important that he puts it in the word. And so all of that is the fourth little stick of dynamite in the Bible. And we could just get up and walk out and go, man, that's kind of cool. That's in the Bible. I didn't know. But I don't think that we're only supposed to know about that story. I think we're supposed to ask ourselves, why is that there? And what in the world does it have to do with me and you? With Eastside Christian Church in 2022, what does that remote story back there have anything to do with you and I? I think there are some applications to it. 
And I want to share these applications, and I want you to understand my heart, and I hope you don't get caught up in, I can't believe you're saying these things, Hasten, because I want you to hear my heart about it. I want to give you this application to begin with, is that everybody in the room, everybody here, we are all called to advance God's kingdom in this world, in this dark world, until Jesus returns. If you're a Christian, it is your job. Listen to me carefully. It is your job to advance the cause of Jesus Christ in this dark world. And see, you might be a teacher, you might be a plumber, you might be a parent, you might be a grandparent, you might, you might be a, a somebody at the ball field that you're, you're just kind of a soccer mom and you know, you're all caught up in taking care of your kiddos. You might be somebody retired who goes to McDonald's every morning, gripes about your taxes. And so you, you can be all kinds of different things, but overshadowing all of that, all of that is your responsibility as a Christian that you are called to advance the kingdom of God. And so at the end of every week, if you're a believer in Jesus, y'all just stop asking, did this week, did this week, did I advance God's cause at all in this world? Not, did I take care of my kids? Did I, you know, did I do good on my tests at school? You know, it's not all those things. It's did I advance the kingdom of God? And here's what 3 John tells us, is that people do that in different ways. And so here at our church, here's an example of that. Two or three times we've raised up a couple uh, groups of people and we've sent them down to Arizona where there's a mission down there at an Indian reservation. And there's a, there's a Christian group of people there. And we've sent some people down there. We've made that long trip down there to help them build their church, okay? Kind of like we got our church building. We went down there to help them build their church and help pay for it. And so some of the people that went are people that know how to build things, okay? Dude, I can do that. I build stuff all the time. Then get going. And other people say, I couldn't build anything if I had to, but I could probably carry some boards. Then go down there and help carry some boards. And some people say, well, I don't even know how to do any of that stuff. I'm not good at any of that. But I know how to organize things, okay? We got to be there at this time, got to get that. Well, then get down there and help them organize those things. And some people are like, I don't know anything about building. I don't know anything about organizing, but I like to talk, man. I'll take care of kids. I'll talk to people about Jesus. Other people say, I can't go, and I got, I got this going on, but I can help pay you to get there. And, and so what happens is you get all these different people who are a part of something who advance the kingdom of God. And that's what happened in 3 John. In 3 John, what happened is you have John training and raising people up, and then the brothers go out to advance the kingdom of God, and people like Gaius, who come alongside them and say, dude, I'll take care of you while you're here. I will bless you while you're here. I will, I will take you, you are mine, and whatever you need, I'm gonna take care of that. And so I want us to understand that the message at the heart of 3 John is that all of us have a responsibility to advance the kingdom of God. Now watch the second application. The reason that I said all that is because I'm about to get to the point of this. If you're one of the brothers, if you're one of the workers, then here's an application I want you to say. It is appropriate for Christian workers who spend their life advancing the cause of God's kingdom to receive income from their work. 
I wish we had elementary kids in here because often we kind of joke about it, those of us who work around here, we come across some of the elementary kids, you know, maybe third, fourth grade, and say, they say, what do you do? <laughs> well, I, I work here. Yeah, I know, but what do you do, okay? What do you do? Well, I work, I work here. Yeah, I know you do that, but what do you, what do, you do? And they eventually say, how do you get your money? Because they don't know that we get money here, okay? It is appropriate for Christian workers to receive income as a form of sustenance that God wants them taken care of. In Paul's first letter to Corinth, he said that Christian workers, now you're starting to see why I thought this might be assuming as self-serving, don't you? He said Christian workers should reap a material harvest. And he talked about the fact that we do that for our soldiers, we do that for our farmers, we do that for shepherds, and all the more that God's servant should be paid. When Paul instructed Timothy on the details of how to build a church and lead a church, he reminded them, now if you've got elders who are involved in preaching and teaching, they deserve double honor. Not only honor they're an elder, but you ought to pay them for the work. And Gaius did the same thing. He brought those brothers in and more than likely took care of the needs saw they received some sort of compensation for their services. And so it's just kind of weird that you've come on a, a, a church service here and I'm sharing with you, y'all need to pay me. Y'all need to pay me. And you think, what are you saying that for? Now you see why I thought, I'm not gonna talk about that. Why did God put that in there? Because he wants churches to know that. That is important to him. If you don't know, let me tell you. Every one of our full-time employees at Eastside receive a full-time salary and benefits. Every single one of them. Their, their work time varies from week to week as far as what's going on around here, but probably the average of all those full-time employees is they probably work 50 to 55 hours a week and they are paid for that time. And some of them could probably go make more out in the secular world, but money is not their primary drive or they wouldn't be here. But we take care of them and we take care of them well. All of our part-time employees are paid about what they could receive at a part-time job in the secular world. And so we make sure that they're taken care of. Our elders in this church from time to time are extremely generous with performance bonuses or increases to salary when our church can afford it. And sometimes we can afford it, and sometimes we don't afford it. And so sometimes it happens, and sometimes it doesn't. A few years ago, some of, of you from this church came up with this idea, and our elders got to chewing on it, and it's become a bit of a tradition now. And so every December, our church asked all of our people uh, to donate $25 gift cards uh, to all of our workers, our brothers and sisters here who are Christian workers, and donate them like a Christmas gift. Now, I don't know what y'all do where you work for Christmas. I don't know what y'all do, what's going on for you. I'll tell you what we do. We go have a nice lunch somewhere that you pay for, okay? And we walk out of there with these $25 gift cards and every year, every one of us walk out of there with five, six, seven hundred dollars of gift cards that we enjoy for the rest of the year. And I'm here to tell you that's appropriate. Now with inflation, you need to rethink about that $25 max, okay? <laughs> I'm joking about that. Not joking, I'm joking about that. When my wife and I use one of those cards 
and we eat on it throughout the year, we will often, when we pray for dinner, pray for the person who, who gave that, because we don't know who gave it. And so God, you know, you know who's blessing us right now, and so God, we just ask for favor on them, bless them, whatever's going on in their life, and so we, we pray for them. So if, if you want the Hastings family to pray for you, now you know what, what, what it will take. And so this is what we're saying, and I know that it sounds self-serving, but I, I, I want you to understand there is a reason that God put it in there. There's a reason for that. And you and I could just skip it and say, well, that's a little thing, you know, a little story back then. But no, God, God wants churches to know about that. Christian workers should receive fair pay for their part in advancing the kingdom of God. And that happens in a wonderful way here at Eastside Christian Church. Now let me throw one more application that kind of hits the, the height of why this might seem self-serving. And I, I, I think we've just been building this whole thing to the main point of the third letter of John. And this is it. That God's heart is drawn to people who bless his workers. That's the whole point of the letter. That God wanted John to write a letter to Gaius and say, dude, we appreciate what you have done for the brothers. And this isn't the only place this comes up in the Bible. Paul talked about the Romans blessing him for his ministry in Spain. And he talked about Titus being blessed by guys like Zenos and Apollos as they ministered. God has a heart for people. He has a heart for people who bless his workers. You see the difference now between Gaius and Diotrephes, huh? You see why Diotrephes was a punk? And I'm just gonna be bold and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you straight with it and you know, if it sounds like this is craziness, I want you to hear it because I, I believe it's a, a part of that letter. God takes it very serious when people attack the brothers. And we saw it with the first book of Obadiah and it comes up here when God tells John, John, you tell Gaius to find Diotrephes and tell him that I will deal with you face to face when I get there. That's in the letter. God takes it serious when people attack his brothers. You ever see an out of control mom at Little League Ballpark when some punk umpire called her little baby out on strikes and she just lost her mind? Anybody, anybody ever see that? Okay. Now I'm not saying God's a mom, I'm not saying God's out of control, but when that happens and God watches a woman defend one of her babies, I think God's on his throne going, you go girl, you go, you go. Because he knows about that. And the opposite of that is Gaius, who looked at the brothers and said, I'll take you, and I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. And God says, that is so much in my heart that I want that in my word. The day I wrote this message, a little card was delivered to my office. I understand some other staff members in our church, some of the other brothers and sisters got a similar card and it was written by a group of ladies in our church and each one of them had a little note 
about how they appreciated us and how they appreciated our spouses. And that's following the example of Gaius. This past week, I sent a note to our staff here at Eastside, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm preaching about this coming up in uh, this weekend. And I said, don't give me any names. I don't want any names. Don't, don't divulge any of that. But can you tell me any stories of people who blessed you as a Christian worker here at Eastside, people who supported you? And I started receiving these stories, and I would just overcome with how God has put so many people in this place named Gaius. One man walked up to one of our ministers one day and handed him an envelope and whispered in his ear, get your wife on a plane and go see your kids. I know how much you miss them. That's Gaius. There's a lady in this church that knocked on the door one morning of somebody who works here, one of our brothers, one of our sisters, knocks on the door and and that person came to the door and it was that person's day off. They weren't doing anything, he was just home. And this, this person says to our worker here, says, hey, can I borrow your car? I need a car right now, I really need a car. Can I borrow your car? And they thought that was really weird. Well, I'm not going anywhere, so here, I guess if you need a car. And it came back uh, two hours later with new tires on it. And I heard three stories this week of Gaiuses in this church who put new tires on staff members of our church. I don't know if y'all just walk around the parking lot looking at our tires or, or what. That is the example of Gaius. Somebody came up to one of our young parents on staff and handed him in his hand a $100 bill folded in the, in the shape of a heart. And it said, go do something nice for your kids, Gaius. All of our offices are full of cards and letters and pictures and gifts where people wanted to thank us and, and just tell us that they love us, Gaius. A few years ago, my wife had surgery. In the morning of the surgery, people just started coming in the waiting room and they just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And when the doctor finally came to tell me how the surgery went, he told me privately, he goes, that's the largest group of people I've ever seen anywhere for surgery. We had food delivered to our house every day for three weeks. Three solid weeks, 21 days, we had food delivered to our house. On the 22nd day, I said to Susan, is there something else you can maybe get some, you know? <laughs> A cause that is near and dear to my heart is helping Alzheimer's patients and families since I lost my daddy to that monster. And that is a dear, dear cause in my heart. And I know what it's like to have to deal with that is trying to take care of a parent or somebody in your family dealing with that. And I know the help that we received as we went through that. And when we lost dad, I got my three sons together and I got my brother together and I said, uh, we're, we're gonna do something about this. And so we started hosting a golf tournament that we do every year and we host this thing and we try to raise a little money that we can give to people dealing with Alzheimer's and help them out a little bit. And this is our ministry. This is a huge part of my ministry. It's as big a part of my ministry as what I'm doing right now. And so we're, we're about to do that in a few days and we work on preparing it for a little bit. And this year, in only three days, in only three 
days, I had 48 golfers came up to me and gave me $175 to be part of the event. I made a little Facebook post this year asking people, hey, you want to help us out? Venmo me, $5. Just Venmo me, $5. In two days, had over $1,000. Gaius, Gaius. And I could go on and on and on. The stories never end, and they all say the same thing. Most churches support their workers, and God is never, ever more pleased. And he proved it by putting that story in his word. All right. Back to the Cadillac DeVille. (laughs) Who is right, me or my wife? Well, I have to admit, today anyway, that my wife was right. Um, I've got this thing in me that I just don't think it's a good idea for preachers to have a Did somebody say something smart, Alec? Is Diotrephes in the room? Okay. I personally don't think it's a great image for preachers to look really filthy rich, so that's probably not a good idea. And that thing wouldn't fit in my garage now. And five bucks gas, it cost me a fortune. So it's probably probably the, the right thing that I didn't get it. But if any of you feel led by God to bless me with that... I will take it. (laughs) Let's stand together and praise God for being a good God in prayer. And then I want to sing to him together as a family. Father, I thank you for how good you are to us. And we can talk all day long about how, how, Lord, you are so good to us and that becomes a motivation of us to be good to other people. But I mean, we just... We talked about that tonight, and um, and you, you know personally how that was that was tough for me. One of the hardest things I think a lot of us deal with is not not blessing people, but allowing other people to bless us. That, that's that's humbling. But all of us have been blessed by you, and we're just following your example to us and. And so I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for being that kind of a God. I want to thank you for having that kind of a church here. This message was a a chance to build people up and pat people on the back and, and say good job. I thank you that we don't have a church where this message had to be a reprimand. This was an encouragement. So thank you for being our example. Thank you for loving us the way you do. And we long to love you back the same way. And so, Lord, let us serenade you right now. Let us sing to you and let you know what you mean to us. And maybe some of that will get down deep into our bones and help us to do that for each other. I pray that in the name of Jesus, amen.